The following is the English translation of Pastor Moen Wu's teaching on the book of Leviticus, chapters 9 to 10, translated by Bryson. Read the Bible every day so you will be full of faith. Let's review Leviticus 9 to 10. Leviticus chapters 9 and 10 follow on from chapter 8, where Aaron and his sons lived in the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of their ordination were completed. Beginning from chapter 9, they were to start the formal service to God. So from the first verse, we see the eighth day. In the Bible, the number 8 is very special. It symbolizes a new beginning of a cycle. So this number 8 re represents a renewing, resurrection, purifying start of a cycle. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. Step by step, God continually reveals to us the principles of authority and order, and how we should live under them. We see Moses living in order, and Aaron and his sons live in the tabernacle for seven days. They are learning about God's order. In the new beginning, the inviting of the elders teaches us about the order in the church, which is specified by God. On the eighth day, which marks the beginning of a new cycle, Moses instructed Aaron, saying, you must first make offerings for yourselves, such as sin offerings, burnt offerings, peace offerings, and grain offerings. In the past, Moses directly addressed the people, but from now on, he, he instructed Aaron to formally speak to the people as the high priest. Thus, Moses now needed to step down from the role of the priest, and Aaron was to take over, continuing talking with God and conveying his teachings and guidance to the people. This signifies a transfer of authority and the passing of the baton. Moses had faithfully served before God, and now Aaron stepped into the service of the priesthood, and he has to speak in this position that God has given him now. Dear family, let's pray. God, help me. I am a priest called by you. I receive your favor, and I want to be your servant. Whether I am a shepherd in the church, or involved in administrative tasks, or simply a church member, I can still speak to God, so speak to me. Give me grace so I can speak to my children, to my family, even to those young believers. In my workplace, I can speak to those who have not yet believed in the Lord. You can pray to God. Put this word inside yourself. I am a priest. I am beginning my ministry. I will bring people before God and bring God before people. In the second verse, Moses said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering. The term bull calf is very special in the Bible. If you carefully look at this term, you'll find this term appears very few times in the Bible. You'll notice it previously appeared in the context of the calf idol that the people asked Aaron to make in Exodus. Now it appears again. In historical accounts, Jeroboam made a golden calf using the same term. So Moses specifically uses this term here to teach Aaron that he must learn how to offer a bull calf in a manner that satisfies God's heart, not to fulfill people's demands. It is crucial for us as servants of God to understand that offering bull calf is not merely for purification, but primarily to satisfy God's heart. It's not about being busy meeting human needs. Many church leaders and churches today are constantly busy with activities, community events, organizing evangelistic meetings, Bible study groups, and even healing crusades. These are all meeting people's needs, which are all good. But priests also have a responsibility to satisfy God's needs. Therefore, the use of the term bullcalf here reminds Aaron not to live for human needs or demands. He must offer the bullcalf to satisfy God's heart. In verse 4 and verse 6, this phrase is mentioned twice. Today the Lord will appear to you. In verse 6, the glory of the Lord may appear to you. 
The word appear is a special phrase in the Bible. In the Old Testament especially, God's manifestation of glory to people only occurred three times. The first time was when the tabernacle was built. It was built precisely following God's instructions given to Moses on the mountain. Therefore, when the tabernacle was completed, God manifested himself. Here, as the priests assume their service, they must follow God's commands completely. The third instance was during Solomon's reign, when the temple was built according to the instructions received by David. Again, they were following God's instructions, and the temple was constructed. So, as long as we can follow God's instructions, his heart is satisfied. When his heart is satisfied, he reveals himself to us. The Gospel of John emphasizes this, saying, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you see this? How do we satisfy God's heart? When we continually respond to God and obediently follow his commands, what he says, we do. The priests have this responsibility, not to meet human needs, but to respond to God's commands and do as he says. These priests satisfy God's heart, and he reveals himself to them. Today, you can pray to God again. God, manifest yourself to me. Give me a heart to obey your word. Just as you commanded Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament, in the same way, please command and instruct me in the New Testament. I am your child, your chosen priest. Teach me today how to walk in obedience to your word in my family, in my workplace, in my relationships. Manifest yourself to me. Manifest yourself to me. I want to satisfy your heart. Lord, I want to see your manifestation. From verse 8 to verse 12, Aaron first makes sacrifices for himself. Why, why does he do this? We are still sinners. He first offers a sin offering for himself, then a burnt offering. From verse 13 to verse 22, the high priest begins his ministry. He starts making sacrifices for the people. If you carefully observe this process of making sacrifices for the people, you'll see in verse 15, he starts with the sin offering. In verse 16, the burnt offering. In verse 17, the guilt offering. In verse 18, the peace offering. The sequence of these four offerings, sin, guilt, burnt, peace, they all hold significance. The sin offering is talking about our purification before God. The guilt offering is is to please God, satisfy Him. The burnt offering is, Lord, I desire your glory, your human glory, your beauty, your nature to live within me. The peace offering is about peace between God and us, an unobstructed communication and a reconciled relationship. Today, we pray for those who are not saved, for the church, for our children. We don't just pray for blessings or prosperity. We don't just pray for physical health. Intercession is important, especially when we serve as priests. We can pray for these four offerings for someone today. Keep praying for them to know God's salvation, for my children to know your salvation, for my children to seek you, to understand how to draw from your blood for purification, for my children to live their lives for you, to continuously manifest your glory, and to have unobstructed communication with you. We pray this way for others and also for ourselves. Whether you're attending a prayer meeting, interceding for someone, or praying for someone's illness, always remember these four offerings. Continuously bringing people into this unified communication with God. Sometimes we meet people's needs and their illnesses are healed, but they don't love God. 
Sometimes in prayer meetings, we see many people come praying for their illnesses, finances, life situations, marital difficulties, work pressures. We pray the issues are resolved, but we don't see these people truly love God, yearn for God, or seek God. Therefore, these four offerings are indispensable in our intercession and teaching. Each time we intercede, every time we pray, every time we teach, may these people remember these offerings of sin, guilt, burnt peace, so these people live in front of God's presence, living only for Him. So in verses 23, Moses and Aaron entered the tenth meeting, then came out and blessed the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Aaron did one thing here. After offering sacrifices, before entering the tent of meeting, he lifted his hands to bless the people. This is the first instance recorded in the Old Testament where someone blesses the people. Moses and Aaron entered the tent of meeting, and when they came out, Aaron blessed the people again. Do you see? This is what Jesus did. Jesus offered himself once for all, then entered the heavenly sanctuary to intercede for us. Before entering, he left us his blessing and peace. Until he comes out again from the tent of meeting, which is when Christ returns, he will bring us exceedingly great blessings. So the fourth time the glory of the Lord appears is there, and the new Jerusalem, descending from heaven. This is the manifestation of God's glory. Dear family, do not underestimate this. When we bless others, it's not just about blessing their material needs or physical health. When we bless someone, we pray for them to turn away from sin, to turn to Christ, to be saved, love Jesus, to live out the image of God, and to have peace. Pray for them that they can have unobstructed communication with God, to hear His voice and know how to pray to Him. This is what we can pray to bless the people. Indeed, in verse 24, A fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Glory, glory, glory. This is a life that satisfies God's heart. Dear family, today you really need to pray for one thing. Lord, speak to me so that I may also have the power and authority to speak to others. Lord, manifest yourself to me. I truly thirst for your manifestation. Teach me how to love your word, to have your commandments and keep them. Manifest yourself to me. Lastly, every time we pray, every time we intercede, do not overlook these four offerings. The sin offering, the burnt offering, the guilt offering, and the peace offering. Your fire must come from heaven to us. God, use your fire to burn us, to set me ablaze with passion, so that my entire being is completely devoted to you, rejoicing, praising, and worshiping you, glorifying you. Let this fire continuously burn within me, within my tent, and within my temple. Fire must continuously burn on me. Chapter 10 is a chapter that causes a lot of people distress, but we shouldn't just read about God's severity and fear. You should read about God's mercy and love. He is waiting for us to understand His heart. In chapter 10, we shouldn't only remember the fire. Nadab and Abihu being burned to death and Aaron being forbidden to mourn. How terrible. No. In chapter 10, we will see humans have weaknesses. But through human weakness, God's mercy and love are shown in our lives. So, when you read chapter 10 today, let's pray to God. God, let me understand your heart. Let me have courage. Let me have love. But let me also have fear to approach you. Verses 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered 
unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came up before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The, the latter part of chapter 9 is verse 24, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now for Nadab and Abihu's case, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. There is such a big difference here. There are several reasons why this happened. 1. Incense. 2. Unauthorized fire. 3. In later verses, chapters we will see they were also drunk. First, let's look at incense. Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it. They took God's incense and put it in their own censers. This is incorrect. From the time of the Exodus, we know that the purpose of incense is not to satisfy man's needs, but to satisfy God's heart. We cannot make our own incense, and incense has to be put in censers. This is prayer. This reminds us, if our prayers today are not toward God, but they are full of selfish motives and desires, for us to be satisfied on this specific thing. So sometimes these prayers are not actually prayers, but actually instructions. Like, everyone listen to my instructions, or God, this person is like this, the other person is like this, have mercy on them. Our prayers bring accusation. They seem to be for others to listen, and sometimes it's it seems to be showing off how much how well we're able to pray. This is what it is to take God's incense and put it in our censor. Prayer is supposed to be towards God. Don't make these mistakes in your prayer. Prayer is entering into God's will, and His will you ask of Him. There is also praying on behalf of groups, so you represent groups to pray to God. And in that case, our prayers might have some sort of teaching so that others can know God more. But if our prayers are to not toward God, and I just want others to know my prayers, bring some sort of accusation, mocking, or some something peculiar, how much I was wronged by someone else to let others know my feeling, this is what it means for your prayer to not be towards God. This is where you put God's insist in the censor, but it is for yourself. This is offensive to God. 2. Unauthorized fire. What is unauthorized fire? Following your own ways and preferences. Sometimes in the Hebrew, unauthorized fire is strange fire or a mysterious fire. What does this mean? It means my serving is based on my ways and preferences. I will worship and serve God, but I want to find a church that caters to my style. So this confusion between genders, marriage, I think God is too strict. I want to find a church that supports same-sex marriage. Politics, the current trend, the wants and needs of the society. This unauthorized fire is a mysterious fire, not from God. In many churches today, there is, are many instances of offering unauthorized fire. Offering unauthorized fire during the pro offering process angers God. Why do people dare to offer unauthorized fire? Because I feel that in the process of serving God, I always have to find something that makes it convenient for me. Something I can accept and something that allows me to feel that my reasoning and logic are acceptable. Some people even use spiritual phrases for this, such as, I amen to this. But does God agree with your amen? So you have to ask yourself, Is our worship and service today based on principles set up to satisfy God? According to what God has commanded so that God can manifest himself? But today, many people in the church lack God's commandments, so we can really pray for one thing. God, if your will is not manifested to us, 
please stop us. My prayer must be focused on you. My service must be limited by you. My service must be guided by you. I have to learn how to wait before you in the process of offering sacrifices. I dare not act casually. You just said, nowadays many churches are offering strange fire. Many people's prayers are offering incense to themselves, putting incense in the censer, and praying to themselves. Why doesn't God strike them down? Why does God let the priest participating in the first sacrifice make mistakes? It's their first time doing it, so why doesn't God give them more chances? In the Old Testament, every time God does a work, it marks the transition of an era, the beginning of a great and new work. In this case, people can finally stand before God. This is a big deal. In the New Testament, at the beginning of the early church, a new era began. When the church era officially began, you will find the same thing. Nadab and Abihu were struck down. But then you see, it seems there are no such cases of striking down afterward. Look at the beginning of the New Testament church. Ananias and Sapphira were struck down by the Holy Spirit. But then in the Corinthian church, and even in many churches in the book of Revelation, you see a lot of confusion. Why didn't God strike them down? We need to see that this is a principle of how God works. King Saul was severely dealt with by God at the beginning, but it seems that God gave David many chances, gave Solomon many chances, even Rehoboam had many chances. Throughout the New Testament, God seemed so severe with Ananias, but then in the later Corinthian church, and even in the seven churches in Revelation, and also it seemed that even though Satan's throne was there, and there were also teachings like Jezebel's, God still gave them second chances. It's not that God's standards were lowered, but God always wants us to see that we should respond to him in faith. Judgment will come, but it's delayed because God is waiting for his people to turn back to him. He gives us opportunities to help us understand his will more and more. It's not trampling on God's grace, but thinking everything is fine anyway. Today, many people serving God in church live in immorality, pride, and this kind of strange fire. But it seems like God has instructed them down. Why? God gives us the chance to repent and turn back to him. You must grasp God's heart. When will judgment happen? It starts from the church. There will be judgment, but God gives us a chance during our lifetime through continuous service. God has mercy on us to give us chances to repent and come before him. Who doesn't make mistakes? We all make mistakes. Then why were Nadab and Abihu, why were Ananias and Sapphira, judged so severely. You see it like that, but you have to see that through such judgment, their souls actually had a chance to be saved. But today, if we continue to sin and make mistakes and constantly think that God's delay, His tolerance, His mercy are all fine, and we keep on doing it, even in the future at the time of judgment, we might not be able to stand before God, and we might end up only enduring gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness. So you have to see God's tolerance, His mercy, His delay, Although God was so severe at the beginning, he still wants us to learn. That's how God manifests himself. But today we can pray to God, Lord, please help me and enlighten me. Today as I serve, if there is any instance where I present my own incense, Lord, if today I offer a strange fire before you in my service before you, if I offend you, Lord, please shine your light upon me so that in your presence I won't provoke your anger and judgment because of improper service. So we should pray like this. In verse 3, Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. 
Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. What God is saying here, I will be sanctified, means that I should be treated as holy by you. We should have joy, but also reverence when serving. Serving God is truly joyful and honorable. We can draw near to God. But let's not forget that our God is also a consuming fire. We should approach serving this fiery God with reverence. Therefore, both reverence and joy are lessons every servant of God must learn. Likewise, God teaches us through this that the closer we are to Him, the more He disciplines us. Each instance of discipline helps us to understand God's holiness, honor, and glory. Secondly, the closer one is to God, the higher his expectations. You can see from the regulations for cleansing in the temple that while the general people needed only to wash themselves in the basin to be cleansed by God, the priests serving God, if unclean, risked being killed. The difference lies in that those closest to God have higher expectations placed upon them. Therefore, servants must understand the master's heart. If one does not understand the master's heart and does not act according to his commands, they will surely face punishment. Therefore, we need to pray. Father, your demands on me are all for me to share in your holiness. Your rebukes, discipline, failures, and even punishment in my life, I must thank you for. That's because you want me to partake in your glory. Thirdly, you should realize that the closer you get to God, the more you'll see your own sinfulness. We truly are filled with sin and unworthy before God. Therefore, we must constantly seek the cleansing of Christ's blood and the mercy of God's grace, so that we can live cautiously in His presence. Isaiah saw God and declared himself as a man of unclean lips. Paul served the Lord for so many years, and yet referred to himself as the chief of sinners. The closer one gets to God's holiness, the more they can see their own darkness and filthiness. So don't be afraid if you feel dirtier the more you serve God, because you are getting closer to the light. If your repentance prayers become fewer, if you feel that you need the light of the Holy Spirit less and less in your life, it's possible that you are drifting away from the light. If you can continue to live in sin and serve God without being convicted by the light of God, then ask God to have mercy on us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, even if it means disciplining us or breaking us, so that we can turn back. So that before he returns, we have an opportunity to return and repent. In verse 4, Aaron's sons were not allowed to carry the bodies. It had to be Mishael or Elathan, sons of Uziel, Aaron's uncle. Why? Because they were currently serving God. They were anointed with anointing oil so the cousins were to move the bodies. They could not touch the dead body, or they would be defiled by death. From verses 6 to 7, Moses also told Aaron and his remaining sons, Eliezer and Ithamar, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. So in this case, my sons have died, and I am not allowed to mourn their death? God, you seem to be too strict. So while serving God, I have to be someone with no emotion or feeling. God, you seem to be really heartless here. Don't say that. If you examine this further, the second half of verse 6. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, be willed the burning the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tenth meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And it did according to the word of Moses. So Aaron and his third and fourth sons really obeyed and submitted to God's will. But who cared about the eldest and second son? God let the whole house of Israel 
more for these two children. God is strict, but he also shows mercy. He also gave the highest honor to rest on these two children. We're not saying that these two children perished. They were part of this event to demonstrate God's dignity and honor. These two children are actually in God's glorious kingdom. Sometimes we care more about honor in the eyes of people, but a servant of God should be concerned about being honored before God. Aaron's grief. God knew it, but God also wanted them to know they had the anointing oil on them. Every servant of God must have an emotional circumcision. This is emotional circumcision or cutting off is something we need to do, especially in this New Testament, where Jesus' teachings are even more severe. Loving parents more than loving him, loving children more than loving him, loving spouses more than loving him, loving worldly possessions more than loving him, such people are not worthy to be his disciples. Jesus speaks harshly, but he emphasizes loving and serving him, honoring him as the priority. You must first understand how to come to the source of love before you can understand how to love your family. You must come to the source of holiness before you can bring holiness to others. You must live in the presence of this glorious God to bring those you serve with into a glorious presence. This is God's requirement for us. Do not underestimate the power of the anointing oil on us. Go beyond your personal emotions and feelings and truly obey. God will compensate us for all the emotional pressures we face. He will release us, comfort us, and honor us. God does not mistreat those who serve him. From verse 8 to 11, the Lord spoke directly to Aaron for the first time. God honored Aaron. I know you are in pain. I will begin to speak to you. You are now the high priest. I will not speak through Moses anymore. I will speak to you. Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So God did not completely remove Aaron's family from the ranks of the priesthood. Instead, God further established Aaron. You must serve me well in front of me. This is the honor I give you. I know your pain. You have sinned. Turn back. I will entrust honor to you, a permanent statute before me throughout your generations. Your family will inherit the priesthood. This is God's love. It's really heart-wrenching, but when God speaks to Aaron, it's such a great honor, such a great dignity. Moses previously said, I cannot speak. And God said, fine, let your brother Aaron be your spokesman. But God never spoke to Aaron until now. So today we ask God to speak directly to us. There is pain in your life. When you are in pain, you still come to serve. When you are very sad and have no money, you still continue in giving offering. When you are under the greatest pressure and can hardly go on, you still persist in gathering. When you are seriously ill in your life, you still do not give up serving and gathering before God. God will surely honor you. God will surely speak to you. Do not be afraid to say, who cares about me? Serving God to such an extent that I have lost everything. Serving God to the extent that my son has died. Serving God to the extent that I cannot show any emotions. God knows. As long as we are truly willing to submit to him, he will surely multiply and return his honor, abundant grace, and favor to you. God will not mistreat us. Our son's lives only end on this earth, but our children are still in the ranks of the priesthood. This family, this name, it is still recorded in the book of life before God. This is our eternal assurance. From verse 12 to verse 18, Aaron and his sons were so distressed that they did not have the appetite to eat the sacrifices left for the people and the priests. They burned them instead, making a mistake. 
not following God's commandments during the sacrifice. They burned everything. I really couldn't eat. Moses was angry with them. Moses was angry. What are you doing? Verse 19, Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. What does that mean? Moses saw that Aaron understood God's heart. Moses also saw that God understood Aaron's heart. God is forgiving. We are very ignorant. Sometimes in the process of our service, we stumble and fall. And sometimes we even offend God without realizing it. But God is patient and teaches us step by step. The case of Nadab and Abihu causes people to be afraid. It might not only have caused Aaron grief, but also fear. It might have made Eleazar and Ithamar fearful too. My brother died in the process of serving God. If I sin in the future, will I also die? God did not want to bring this fear back to Aaron and his sons. In this situation, God acknowledged Aaron's feelings, so he gave Aaron and his sons comfort. You will make mistakes, but I will continue to teach you, covering you in the blood, the guilt offering, sin offering, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering. These will bring a unity among us. Even up to when the temple was destroyed, there were no more priests or high priests who were killed in the sanctuary by God. Now for the case of Eli's two sons, they went out to battle and were killed there. It didn't happen again. Why? God wants every person who serves him to know. God lets us know about his manifestation of his glory, what it looks like, so we are not casual. But the mistakes we make afterward, God's mercy and grace guides us. As long as our hearts keep turning towards God and they keep turning towards God, even sinful Peter has a chance. Even sinful David has a chance. As long as our hearts keep turning towards God, we all have a chance before God. The key is for my heart to always believe that God's discipline, God's strikes, God's rebukes are all out of his extremely fervent love for us. Amen.